Welcome to the City Life Podcast. I'm Tim Woody, the pastor of City Life Church in downtown Fort Worth. There is purpose for your life. There's a destiny you have yet to walk into, and there is hope regardless of what you're facing today. I encourage you to open your heart now to what God will be speaking to you over these next few minutes. <laughs> Thank you, guys. Um, I want to just... Uh, I want to talk tonight. Can, can someone just give me a stool? Not you, Adrian, but someone just give me a stool. I want to sit down here for a little bit tonight and, and chat with you a little. Um, I, I want to talk to you about the presence of God tonight. My, my message is entitled, In His Presence. And, and I've entitled it that because I just want to talk about the presence of God and how this whole thing kind of got started about the presence of God. And, and what it means to us today. So one of the things that I don't do on a City Life night is I don't like for things to be as highly programmed. I know we've been a little disorganized here. That's not what I meant. But I mean just like highly programmed, meaning we have to have, have slides going up every time I say, and God said, and it pops up there on the screen. But I like, I, I like for us to dig into the Word of God. I'm going to ask you to get your Bibles out and your notes out and to jot a few things down. God's going to speak to your heart tonight. I really, really believe this. God, you're going to see the scriptures illuminated like never before. So God, I just pray that you'll speak to our hearts and change our lives. And that as we walk through these next few minutes, that you will touch us in powerful and intimate ways in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to talk to you about the tabernacle. You've probably heard that, and I don't. And everyone kind of has a different place that, that, or a different level of of knowledge regarding these things. But the tabernacle was a portable worship center, and uh, and later on, the the model of the tabernacle was turned into the temple. So sometimes you talk about the temple, sometimes you talk about the tabernacle, but the tabernacle was what got this all started. And, uh, and, the, this, and we also know the scriptures tell us that there is going to be a temple rebuilt in Jerusalem, and it's going to be there at the very end of time. The, 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 the Antichrist will decide that he's going to be God, and he's going to try to go ahead and take the throne in there. So it's going to be really interesting at the very end. But, uh, but, but the tabernacle was a place that God had given Moses instructions on, and, and, and it was a place where, that, where God's people could get to know God and worship God. Uh, th this all started 4,000 years ago on Mount Sinai. Before then, there was no structure to worship God. The patterns that I'm about to talk about tonight were established 4,000 years ago, and we function in those same patterns today in the New Testament church. And, and it is very powerful when you can understand this. See, the, the tabernacle was a place where people could atone for their wrongdoings. Uh, people could call on God. They could ask for forgiveness. They could connect with their creator. Nothing like this had ever been established before. And, uh, and, and in, in, in the other customs of the world, even at that time, there was nothing like this. This was something divine, something from God. You see, the people had relied upon Moses as being the ultimate uh, level of interaction with God, but God wanted something different. God wanted his people to all interact with him. And so God gave Moses this design, and we find it in the, in the scriptures, and it goes into so much detail. I'm not even going to try to unpack all the detail of it. I've, I've studied it 
in, I've studied it in, in great detail myself, and I love the, the, the imagery that's there. And I'm not going to go into all my studies. Trust me, we would be here like a few, four or five days, days and nights trying to get through all that. But, there's, but there are some important facets of this that, that I want to talk about. It. See, because God wanted all of his people to be intimate with him. And God gave us the tabernacle, which was his picture of how to approach him and how to be in his presence. Thus the title of today's message. And uh, I am going to show you just a few images. And here's a, this first image uh, of really what the tabernacle looked like. It's very, very, very simple. There were three major parts to the tabernacle. Uh, you, you see, you see the, the large area, which is called the outer court. And then Inside of that smaller area in the back, there are two rooms. One's called the holy place, and the other's called the most holy place, also known as the holy of holies. The outer court has two articles of furniture, which you can see. We call it furniture. That's not like a sofa and, and a coffee table or anything like that. We just call it furniture because these are the furnishings that were there. But one is, is what was called the bronze or the brazen altar. The other is the bronze laver, which was full of water. And, uh, and those are on the outside. And then inside, in the holy place, there were three items. There was a table with bread. There was a candle. Uh, there's, a, there's this candle stand made of gold. And there's an altar of incense. And then when you go into the most holy place, which was the, the place at the very back of that, of that, of that room that you see there, there's a, that's that separate room. There's this thick curtain. And behind that thick curtain was the Ark of the Covenant, which you've heard so much about. <laughs> And the ark literally contained, um, guys, get this, it literally contained the glory of God. So God dwelt there. Amazing. It's really amazing to think about that. And, and only priests were allowed to go into the holy place, uh, into that back park back there. And the, the high priest was the only one who could go into the most holy place at the very, very back only once a year to bring a blood sacrifice on the Day of Atonement. So, so that, that, that part was severely restricted at that time. Now I want us to dive into this. We're going to take a look at, at what this actually looked like, and I'm going to take you on a journey into the tabernacle, and you're going to see how this is a pattern for how we live our lives in New Testament worship. So look in your Bibles and jot this scripture down, uh, Psalm 100, verse 4, and get it, get it handy because I'm going to read this in just a moment. Psalm 100, verse 4. Now, Today, the beauty of it is every single person has an invitation to go deep into the presence of God, to proceed through the outer court and to go into the, uh, into the holy place and the most holy place. And, but, but, but even back then, as it is now, most people are content to simply live in the camp. The whole camp of the Israelites was around this. This was actually at the very center of the camp. Um, and, and you got to understand, there were two million people that were in this camp surrounding this. So you know how many people are in Tarrant County? About, what, 2.1, 2.2 million people? So you think all the population of Tarrant County was, was, had their tents set up all around this as they were out in the wilderness. That's really pretty incredible. So that's extremely small space for the two million people. Uh, the outer court, it's only 3,700 square yards, and so it's about, it's, it's about the size of a small city block or half a city block. And so, it, so it was way too small for all of the people of Israel to actually go in there and worship. 
And I, I think God knew that. God knew that it would rarely be filled to capacity. Um, and, and that a lot of people would just be content to live in the camp and they would never feel like they had any need to, to go and do this. I think God knew that. That's part of God's design. And, and, and I see that same pattern in the world today, even, even, among, uh, even among Christians. A lot of people just don't become involved in the presence of God. But God has called some of us out and he said, I want you to go deep. I want you to go deep. Um, it's interesting because even you, you think of the limited number that could have been, in, been around there. Uh, you think of the ministry of Jesus Christ. He preached to thousands upon thousands. They came to his crusades and services. But after he departed, only 120 people followed his final instructions and were filled with the Holy Spirit who then went out to change the world. It was very few out of many that actually did this. And this is the same pattern that actually fulfills itself in the New Testament, which is where we live now, as well as at that time. It's interesting because I think about this. Is, is approximately 1% of the people who attended the big meetings of Jesus <laughs> were there at the day of Pentecost. And I break down the numbers. It's approximately 1% of the people who are actually in the entire camp that would have actually been in there and would have been involved and would have gone to the tabernacle. Uh, it could have housed. It, it, it operated 24-7. And it, it could have brought in about maybe 120 worshipers an hour. And I, I think that 120 number is interesting because it's the same as the, the day of Pentecost. Interestingly enough, a few moments ago, you said there were 120 worshipers at the temple when the, when the glory of God fell. There's something about that number that, that struck me, even as you said that, uh, because I knew I had that number 120, 120 in, in this sermon several times. And there you brought it up too, Elizabeth. There's something about that number I, I don't even understand. I'm, I'm, I'm determined to, to go a little bit deeper with that as well myself. But, uh, but it's, it, it would have been an amazing, it would have been an amazing experience to do this. But most people were too busy with their lives. They were too taken up with all the stuff going on around them to ever even come to the tabernacle. Because seriously, everybody can't fit. As you would have walked to the entrance, you would have seen this incredibly decorated embroidery work of, of blue and purple and scarlet. It was just wonderful as you walked in. And then you would hear the noise of the worshipers and the singers on the inside. The Levites would be singing. Now look at Psalm 100, verse 4. Look at that. I had you look it up. It says, enter his gates. That was the gates. They, they were actually curtains because this would all be able to be taken down and moved to another location. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. It's talking about this. Give thanks to him and praise his name. So as people would come in, the worship would be going on. Songs would be sung. In fact, Moses was a songwriter. He was a poet. Did you know that? <laughs> Miriam, his sister, was as well. And the, the, these people would put together these songs, and, and, and there were Levites that would, that would create this music, just as we're experiencing tonight. We operate by the same pattern. Do you realize that as soon as you walk in, the first things that you hear, even as you come to church, is the worship and the music that, that takes you to a new place. And, and, uh, and worship is actually why a person goes into the outer courts. And then they eventually go deeper and deeper in. Now I want you to locate Isaiah 53, verse 3. Re locate that and jot that scripture down in your notes as well. Now, while you're finding that, just I want, I want, I want you to know God is seeking worshipers. He is seeking 
worshipers. Now, listen carefully. God is not seeking repenters. He's not seeking doers. He's not seeking uh, workers, although all those things are important. God is seeking worshipers because so much is actually involved in worship. And he wants relationship. He wants interaction. He wants worship. So as you walk into the outer court, the first thing that you're going to see as you're surrounded by the music and everything is the bronze altar. Now the bronze altar was covered by a scarlet cloth. Now let's go ahead and go to that next, uh, next image. See, the scarlet would have, you don't see the, the image of the scarlet right here, but the scarlet cloth would have been covering it. The scarlet speaks of suffering. And the bronze altar represents the cross. Now, what it really would have looked like was a huge square barbecue pit. But it was the ultimate symbolism of Jesus. And there, it, was, it was an area that was very, very bloody. And, it, and, and what you would have seen there would have demonstrated suffering. So as they began to fire up that, that altar, there was, a, there, was, there was a burning of flesh and there was blood. And it, it, was, it was not a pretty sight walking in there. It was not pretty. You walk into the foyer of our church, it's pretty. It wasn't pretty walking in there. Maybe that's why a lot of people didn't go. In fact, that's the only part that kind of jolts people. And it's interesting because God does that right up front before everything else that he begins to unfold the further you go in. Isaiah 53 verse 3 speaks of this. It says, Jesus, speaking of Jesus, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, familiar with suffering, like one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised, yet we esteemed him not. Now, that is what people would have felt. This is the represent representation of Jesus in the cross. The bronze, bronze always represents judgment in the Bible. And, and what this is saying is that sin has to be judged. God doesn't want to judge you, but he wants to judge, but he has to judge sin. But if you have sin, then you're going to be judged. Do you understand? That is, that is how it works. So this is an unchanging law of God. There's nothing that changes that. And a worshipful life is a life that confronts sin. So what would have happened if you would have brought an animal in your hand for the sacrifice and you enter with your own guilt and your shame and your condemnation and you come and you offer that, that sacrifice. Hebrews chapter uh, 9 verse 22, you can just jot that down. It says, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Matthew uh, 25, 28 says that, tw excuse me, 26, 28 says, Jesus says, this is the blood of my covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. So this bronze altar uh, just really let people know, and it lets us know today that no one can get to God. No one can get into the presence of God, which is further back in there, without dealing with your sin first. You've got to deal with your sin. You can only go so far until you have to deal with your sin. I'm, I'm telling you, church, we can't dodge the altar. We can't dodge the cross. We all have sin, and we have to deal with it. 1 John chapter 1, verses 8 and 9 says that if we claim to be without sin, we actually deceive ourselves. <laughs> so don't, don't say you don't have any sin. <laughs> don't, don't. I remember one time I was in, I was in, when I was in college, I, I went to a wonderful Christian Bible college, and, 
And, uh, and one of the professors said, I, I'm without sin. I, I never sin. I, and she was like the whole class of Bible students, school students. And this was, a, this was an English teacher. It wasn't a, it wasn't a uh, Bible scholar. But all these Bible college students are going, ah, no, no, no. You can't say that. She goes, yes, I can. I've never sinned. I don't sin. We're like, ah. We, we had the fun. And it was crazy. We, we all had a good time with that. We, everyone, all these preachers, and these, these soon-to-be preachers were in the room saying, no, that you can't. That can't be true. But. It says, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive your sins. So the bronze altar is the place where sinners confess. There's no way around it. You've got to deal with it. And my hunch is most people didn't want to deal with their own sin, so they didn't even go. That's why the place is as small as it is. It could not have contained the two million people to come even on a weekly basis. Even if it was 24-7, it could not have handled the full two million people. Um, I'm telling you, th there's absolutely nothing more important at this point than confessing your sin because the wages of sin is death. And what they would do is they would take the blood of the animal, the priest would, and they would sprinkle it onto the people. And that, and that blood would, would actually cleanse them. Now, I know you might say, what is God's fascination with blood and death? Well, actually, that's not. It, it's actually about life. But for there to be life, there has to be death. That's the law of God. And, bef and I, well, it's, it's important to understand this. And I, uh, even the way that we do our worship around here is we give people an opportunity to, to give their lives to Jesus all the time. And if you're here right now and there's sin in your life and you're not serving the Lord and you know it, you need to get that sin out. If you're going to experience what I'm about to talk about here in a second, you need to get it out. In fact, I almost want to stop. Let's, let's practice the tabernacle right now. Let's just practice it. Just, just bow your heads right now. If there's sin in your life, just confess it before the Lord. Just, just pray. Just whisper a prayer to God. God, forgive me of my sin. Wash me clean. God, I don't want that sin. God, just take it away. Take it away. I go to the altar. I go to you. I go to the cross. And I say, take it away. Forgive me. Cleanse me with your blood. In Jesus' name, amen. No one could go past the altar unless they had blood on them. And then at that point, it's interesting because each person, the, but, but of course at that time, only priests could go any further. Only priests could go further. Uh, and I'll talk to you about that here in a second. But, but at that point, they would be anointed with oil. So the anointing doesn't come on you until you've had your sin dealt with. So when you, when you had the blood literally on you, then they would anoint every place where there was the blood. They would, put, they would put the anointing oil on you. The anointing oil represents the Holy Spirit. Isn't that beautiful? It really, really is. But, but the priests were only allowed to go further. So what are we allowed to do? I mean, are you a priest? <laughs> well, uh, in Revelation chapter uh, 1, verses 5 and 6, it talks about God who has freed us from a sin by his blood makes all of us a kingdom of priests in the New Testament. So that means we get to go past the brazen altar. We get to go past the cross. Isn't that beautiful? We are all priests. You, it's not just the special people. I talked to you about that this morning at Joel 228. It's not just the special people who get to go further into the presence of God. We all have access. But it's important that we understand what that looks like. So look at the person next to you and ask them the question. Just say, are you cleansed by the blood? Like if you've got someone else nearby you, ask them if they've been cleansed by the blood. If you don't have anyone next to you, just kind of look at yourself. Are you cleansed by the blood? And then if they're cleansed by the blood, if they said yeah, if they said yeah, 
then look at them and say, you're a priest. Come on, just tell, just tell people around, you're a priest. You're a priest. Come on, tell them. You're a priest. You're a priest. There are the priests and the priestesses. Now let's move past the altar. And, and, and behind that was the bronze basin. And, uh, and at the temple, it was even much larger. It was huge. They called it the Bronze Sea because it was so massive. But the priests would go there, and then they would dip into this water, and they would take a bowl full of water out, and they would pour it over themselves like a waterfall of, of cleansing that would wash their hands and their face, all that would go all the way down to their feet. Now, you're looking at a mess at this point because you have the blood and, the oil and you have the water, but, they, but these people are now cleansed of that. And I love that because that actually symbolizes water baptism. You wonder where water baptism came from? It came from right here. This is where it started. So when you receive Christ and the Holy Spirit comes to dwell in you, then you have the anointing of God on you, you need to be baptized. You know what? Baptism is not a, it's it's not just a nice little option. It's actually commanded by God. It's commanded by God. And Water baptism separates you from your old life and moving into your new life. And, and it, it's not just symbolism. I know it is symbolism, but the truth is everything that we do is symbolism. There's symbolism in it all. All of this is symbolism. But when we are baptized in water, it's more than just symbolism because the, the power of God is released. The power of God is released. That word baptized literally means to dip in or to immerse. Did you know that? So we highly value water baptism around here, and it's not just a recommendation because supernatural power is released. Now I want you to look at Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19, because we're going to move past the outer court, and we're going to begin to move in d- a little bit deeper. While you're finding Hebrews 10, 19, I want you to understand this again. The, the outer court represents 94% of the square footage that's in the tabernacle. That's a very large area, 94% of it. The holy place and the most holy place actually is the other 6% of the square footage. So in other words, there's plenty of room to hang out in the outer court. And I want to address this very quickly here. Because even Christians who are serving God and they love God and they're cleansed by the blood of Jesus and they, they've been baptized, they most, if, if you look at the sheer percentage of it, most do not move forward. Most don't move into the depths of his presence. But I'm going to challenge you today to do that. It's almost like God set up the dimensions of the tabernacle as like like a warning for all of us. It's an imagery for all of us. You have the choice. You can stay in the camp. You can move into the outer courts. But as New Testament Christians, we can move all the way into the Holy of Holies. And uh, the invitation for us to go deeper is there. But I... Again, just from experience, I, I just have to say there are very few who enter. Um, I, 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 there are a lot of people that just abide in what I call, I, I've always called this this. I, you don't hear me say it very much, but it's, it's called outer court. I call it outer court Christianity. That's where, where people just experience repentance and water baptism, and they never move on. In fact, a lot of the preaching that, that I have to do and a lot of preaching that, that's, that's done out there, it's, I would say <laughs> probably a good 94% of the preaching is directed toward outer court Christianity. It's, it's because that's where most people are. 
But what happens in the outer court is there is no rest. There's the constant noise. You still hear the community that's around you. And, and, and you're not, you're, there's, a, there's a lot to see. There's a lot to experience. There are sights and smells and sounds. And, and, and there's a lot going on of you, around you. But, and and that, that's kind of like what a lot of people are living in their Christian lives. Uh, the, the, the tug of sin really isn't broken. Their life hasn't taken on this incredible new dimension because they've never moved forward. And th- th- the truth is Satan doesn't want you to go into that inner place. Satan doesn't want you to go in there, but the Holy Spirit is drawing you. And the truth is right now you feel that draw. You do. You do. See, because the Holy Spirit doesn't want this to slip away. He wants you to go all the way. Take a look at Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. Take a look at that now. It says, Brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place, that's us, New Testament Christians, by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, open for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God. That's in, that's, that's in there. That's in the holy place. Look at this. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having your hearts sprinkled, that's being sprinkled with blood, you're catching the, the parallels here, to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. You see in this, in other words, saying there, you don't have to feel ashamed. You can have confidence. You've been washed in the blood of Jesus. Oh, come on. This is good. So it says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some is in the habit of doing. Let us encourage one another all the more until you see the day approaching. This actually is talking about end time Christians are going to go past the outer court. Those who are going to make the biggest difference in the kingdom of God in the last days are going to be those who get into the holy and into the holy place and the holy of holies. Now turn to Isaiah chapter 11. All right, come on. Jot these scriptures down because you need to go back to these, all right? See, now in the holy place, this is where you're actually now set apart. So as, as, you, as you walk in, you recognize I'm in a new place. Everything is different in there. And, and set apart people, they act different than the world. We look different than the world. We are, I like to say sometimes we are like dead men walking. <laughs> we, we, we were crucified our flesh and we're walking in the power and the life of God. And it's not our will, but the will of God consumes us, and that's why we want to go deeper. And so we, we go into the holy place realizing that this earth is not our home anyway. And when you go in there, you're realizing this is a slice of heaven. Something is here. Here in the holy place, you realize this, is, this place represents my life being consecrated to God. All of the distractions from everywhere else are gone. I'm an instrument of God's glory. I am all God's. I am all God's. I, I mentioned this, and I, I preached about this at the 1st of September, that we are now entering into the new Jewish year, which is a year of Sabbath rest. And the holy place is the place of rest. And that's what I'm calling us to. And I'm calling you to, is to go into the holy place, because it is the place of rest. The noise, all the sights and sounds and smells, they're all gone. Everything is different in there. You walk in, it looks different. It smells different. It sounds different. You're going to understand that here in a second. You've entered into a new realm. 
This is where God's calling us. We read that scripture. God wants us. Go in. Go deeper. Go deeper. Go deeper. And the holy place is that place where your mind can relax. Your emotions can relax. And that's what I want in here as we can keep moving forward. As you walk into the holy place, what happens is your eyes are now drawn to the light. It's a, it's a dark room. Of course, there was no electricity. There was no light coming through the top over here. But there's this lamp stand to your left. And as soon as you walk in from the bright light of outside, your eyes have to adjust, but your eyes are immediately going to move over toward the light. You immediately see the light, the golden lamp stand. It was a 75-pound, pure, hammered, hammered gold lamp stand. Uh, detailed artistry commanded by God that I'd love to get into the details with. Uh, six, you know, six branches, on uh, uh, three on each side, and there's the one that was in the middle. Seven flames representing s the seven candlesticks, the seven, uh, the, the, these, and, and please understand when I say candlesticks, it's not like wax candles. We think of candles as being like those little things that are on birthday cakes or whatever. They hadn't invented wax yet. So, so there were, these were not wax candles, but these were burning flames in here. These were, the, the, this lampstand was a demonstration of the perfect fire of the Spirit of God working in the life and the followers of Christ. You're drawn to the fire. You're drawn to that. You want to be there. You want the Spirit of God working in you. The number seven speaks of perfection. That's what God wants. It is God's perfection in there, and He wants you to be drawn to His perfection. The, the, the fire always represents the, the Spirit. Fire represents the consuming spirit. Jesus even declared he himself is the light. He pointed to the temple and he said, I am that light. So when you go in there, you're seeing that light, that perfection, that beauty, and that is Jesus. The seven lamps also speak of the seven spirits of God uh, that, that, that we find out. It also speaks of the seven churches in the book of Revelation that I preached on recently. Uh, Revelation chapter 4 verse 5 says this. It says, From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings, and peals of thunder. And before the throne of God, <laughs> the seven lamps were blazing. And he said, These are the seven spirits of God. What are the seven spirits of God? Well, I had you turn to it. It's in, and it's in Isaiah chapter 11 verses 2 through 3. I want you to get this because this is what you're drawn to. Okay, believers, you are drawn to this. We're drawn to this. It says, the spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and of power, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. Now you're in the presence of God, the seven flames, the seven spirits of God. God speaks, God reveals, but we have to respond. In fact, when we looked at the seven churches in Revelation that were always spoken of, the seven churches in Revelation, they were said, said if you don't correct your ways, I'm going to pull the lamp from you. I'm going to take the light from you. What a horrible thing that would be for God to remove his presence from a church. But it is something that obviously God does. Like I told you earlier today, I don't want us to be another nonprofit going about doing religious stuff. I want us to be in the middle of the presence of God. Now I want you to locate John chapter 6, verse 33. Jot that down. John 6, 33. <clears throat> As your eyes are adjusting to the room now, you're seeing that the light is shining out across the room. And, and you would have seen now something on your right, which was the table of showbread. 
the table of showbread. This is where God communes with his priests, and, and the function of it there is to hold, uh, the table is to simply hold the bread for the hungry priest to eat. And that showbread, it literally means the bread of his presence. It's the enduring, sustaining presence of God. It is, it is also spoken of meaning that the, the, uh, the showbread means the bread of fellowship, are you seeing the parallels with Holy Communion yet? Are you seeing the parallels here? The bread, that, that word bread literally meant this. It literally has this meaning. It means pierced, punctured, or wounded. This would have been an unleavened bread that was out there, pierced, punctured, and wounded. Jesus. See, everything, everything in the tabernacle is about Jesus. The word showbread also means the flesh of God. Now, when we take of communion, we are not literally ingesting the flesh of God. That's called transubstantiation, and we don't believe that. That doesn't mean that when you take it, it turns into the literal flesh of God. But, when we, but we have to understand that when we take the, take the, the body of Christ and the, and the blood, it, it, it represents it, but, but it's, we're, we're taking in his nature into us. He, it, it's as if we are taking in just as they did then, spiritual sustenance that's going to keep us going. A lot of people who can't keep going, they can't keep moving forward in their life is they're not coming back to the, they're not going into the holy place. They're not going to the table of the Lord. They're not going to, to look in the eyes of Jesus and, and the, 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 the spirit of God, the seven spirits of God. That's why this is a place of calm. It's a place of peace. It's a place of healing. It's a place of the power of God. And Jesus is saying, eat, eat, eat of me. In fact, there's this imagery of continual feasting that's there. John chapter 6, verse 33. I asked you to turn there. Now look at it now. It says, the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, from now on, give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry. He who believes in me will never be thirsty. It's, but it's this continual feasting, continual drinking. We eat, we drink, we eat, we drink of the presence of God. And when you do that, my friend, hear me well. You're not going to be craving the world you want to know how to break cravings of the world? It's to be feasting in the presence of God and going as close to his presence as possible. And I, I, I want to look down, at verse, look down at verse 51, John 6, 51. Jesus says, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, that living bread, now he's actually speaking the word showbread there. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. And then the Jews began to argue sharply amongst themselves, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? They said it would have, they definitely would have said it like that. And Jesus said that, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. And right now I want us to practice communion. In fact, 
Ashley, will you come up on the pads real quick? And uh, ushers, I'm going to ask you to distrib distribute communion elements to everyone because as they distribute these communion elements, we're going to partake of these and we're going to, we're going to uh, take this in as, as some, something that we remember and we do. Now, one of our traditions here is that we... Uh, is that we offer communion every single week. And I think it's good just to do it often, as often as you'd like. But we also do it in a corporate fashion once a month where we're, we're going to pass it around to everybody. And so, so we, because it is important. And do you know what? It is also the Lord's command that we do this. In fact, he says we are supposed to do this until we get into eternity. This is something we do all the time to the very, very end. My friend, I don't believe this is just, this, this is not just symbolism. I believe there is power and there is life and there is sustenance that's released. I believe your appetite for the world diminishes as you are filled with the glory of God, the goodness of God. That's part of what this is about. These are not just religious exercises. This is all about the presence of God. And going deep into His presence. I'd like for you to take your elements right now. and Will you please take them and take the little top off? Open the top. And, I don't know, maybe we can get some up here for Ashley and me. That'd be great But if y'all get a chance. But, uh, and and uh, you know, maybe someone can open that up. Maybe some really nice dude can open that up for her. Cause but I want you to participate, Ashley. I don't know how you're going to do that, but you can can't participate. You have to stop. Okay. You know what? We're not, we're not live streaming this, so we can mess up and nobody's going to care. Sometimes I'm glad there are no cameras, you know? I don't really, I really am. It's like, they don't let me wear white shirts because they said it messes up the cameras. And so it's like, well, there are no cameras. They're going to wear me a white shirt. I'm going to show them. Some of you guys probably, some of you camera people, production people got paranoid saying, oh, he's got a white shirt. It's going to mess up our cameras. No, it's not. Uh, but, but really, this is a holy moment. Guys, Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. Let life and power. You know, I've known of people to be physically healed of diseases and sickness when they take communion. I've known of people to be filled with the Holy Spirit when they partake of communion. I've seen people, I've grown up in church, so I've seen a lot of things. But I've seen people just really melt into the presence of God. Strongholds broken, addictions broken as they take up communion. Because what are you doing? You're filling yourself with the goodness of God. Jesus, I thank you for your body, which is broken for me. We take this now in remembrance of you. Amen. Please partake of the bread. Jesus said, this is the new covenant in my blood. As often as you drink this, you show forth <laughs> me, me, until I return. Jesus, I thank you for your blood. Thank you that it was shed for me. And even as the ancient priests and the worshipers would have the blood on them, God, we take your blood 
and we take it in to quench our thirst so we're not thirsty for the things of the world, but we're thirsty for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's partake of the blood of Christ. Good, you did that good. I'm always worried about everybody getting communion. Actually, I'm worried about that all the time when we do church, except I just don't tell everybody that. I'm, I would get like paranoid. like, did everybody get communion? I want everybody to have communion. Just, just keep playing for just a minute. But, but you know, as you move a little further, you, you go to the next station, which is right in front of the curtain, and that's the altar of incense. The altar of incense we're, and we're going to practice this in a few minutes. It's this place of worshipful intercession. In fact, worshipful intercession is the highest act before the holiest presence of God. Now, it's not, when you get to this place, it's not about petitioning God. It, it's about intercession. It's about worshiping. Intercession, it, 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 it's, it's intercession is where you are standing between a situation and God, and you're going to pray on behalf of something else that may not even involve you or have anything to do for you, but you're going to pray on behalf of that. That's intercession. We are called to that. People in the outer courts don't even practice intercession. <laughs> you see, because in the outer courts, you're praying for your own needs. God, I need this, and I need that. Is that okay? Well, absolutely it is. Absolutely it is. But... Christians who go into the inner court, they recognize and they realize they have a unique place in the presence of God and they will worship and they will pray for things to be turned and shifted and changed and God will work miracles like you've never been seen. I, I'm telling you guys, intercession works. When we pray with faith and we believe in the presence of God, things shift and change. Uh, miracles happen miracles happen and there is no doubt in my mind because I've seen him so many times but it's not all about you it's not about begging to be blessed instead here in the holy place you're just begging God just to love on you and you're just wanting to love on him you're blessing God you're blessing others. It's not a place to where you want to entreat of God, but you, you're exalting the God of heaven. What's happening right there is there's these bowls of fragrant uh, incense that are, that, are, that are right there that are burning, and it's this continual worship, and it represents the continual worship and intercession that's before the throne of God. So as you, as you walk in there, please understand, you, you just went into a place where you smell the incense, you see the flames, the noise of everything else is gone. This an atmosphere of worship and God, that is the place of holy rest. That is the place of holy rest that God calls us to. That's where He calls us to. I was just really amazed a few minutes ago as we were singing, caught up in your presence. I can't remember all the words, but in that song it says, I'm not here to ask you for something for me. I'm not here to beg you for stuff. I just want to be in your presence. I just need to be close to you. That's the attitude that we have when we're there. In fact, we're going to sing that song again. I, when Elizabeth came out the platform, I said, ah, we're going to do that song again here in just a minute because that speaks of being right there at the curtain that speaks of the incense that's going up. And then in front of the incense is the veil, that beautiful curtain. The veil 
I'm not going to read you what the, the scriptures say. Just go ahead and turn to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19, because I wanted to show you this one last passage of scripture. But this, the, the detail that was built into this, what's called a veil, was, was massive. Now, we think of a veil as, as, you may think of it like as a wedding veil or something that you can kind of see through, but it was not like that at all. This was a thick curtain. Uh, some people say it would have been up to possibly up to 18 inches thick fabric. That thing would have heavy, heavy. It was thick. It was not something that was just, uh, that was just kind of like this little flimsy curtain. I've seen movies of when the veil was torn in two in the temple. And it goes, it's like someone tears a piece of sheets. It's like, no, sorry, that, that wasn't it. <laughs> because, and the part of the miracle, the veil being ripped in the temple from the top to the bottom was you can't rip it. How in the world did that happen? It can't be torn. You can't rip it. There was no split in it. There was no seam in it. In fact, behind this was the Ark of the Covenant. And there is where the, the, uh, the, the high priest would go. He would go into, the, uh, into that place once a year to go into the depths of the presence of God. But there's nothing strange because when, it, when the scriptures talk about the veil, there's nothing that talks about how you get from the veil into the ark, where the ark would come, into the Holy of Holies, the most holy place. How do you get through? Some people have assumed, well, they just kind of scoot around the edge of it, or just like, that just feels, that just seems kind of awkward or weird. Uh, how do you get around it? Maybe so they did install the zipper, but it said it has no seam. I, how do you get through it? Well, most scholars believe, and I personally believe this as well, is that something else took place in that moment. That in that moment of worship, when the high priest was there worshiping God with a bowl of incense. The incense was there. The flames were burning. And he filled himself with the goodness of God at the table of showbread. He was cleansed as he was worshiping God. Not concerned about himself, but just adoring the presence of God. That he was translated through the veil into the other side. That he was somehow miraculously translated. And like basically walking through a wall. And I believe this, is that when we worship God like that, when it's not all about us, we're just worshiping God. That, that's like we are translated into the depths of His presence like you can't imagine. And it's only God that can usher us into the closeness of His presence, the most holy place. And I think that most holy place, the holy of holies, must have been just... Uh, the ultimate place of fellowship with God. It was the highest, highest level of God's presence. And that, my friend, is where life gets really good. See, because in there, you're not thinking about the bloody altar anymore. You're not even thinking about all the commotion that's going on out there. You're not thinking about all the people that are roaming around in the outer courts. You're not worried about the people. You are there presence of God and you're swept away and it's just beautiful rest healing blessing anointing you realize the most holy place was actually a perfect cube it was exactly 15 feet in every dimension every dimension was 15 feet in there 
perfect dimension. It was a, literally a cube. It was the only thing that had that, that kind of dimension to it. But there's something else in the future that will have that same dimension. Do you realize that the New Jerusalem, as it's described in the book of Revelation, is going to be a perfect cube as well? I don't understand how that works. The New Jerusalem is literally going to be this place that's going to be like the Holy of Holies. That, which lets you know this. Let me, let me just put it this way. That means heaven is going to be the ultimate place of presence of God, of rest, of peace. And it's going to be so awesome, so crazy awesome. But we can taste it from time to time on this earth. And you get to go there. Look at this final scripture, Hebrews 10, 19 through 27, because this, I'm going to take you to the first verse 20 through verse 27, because this ultimately just sums it all up before we go back into worship. It says, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way opened for us through the curtain, that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from guilty conscience, and having our bodies washed with pure water. Come on, we've read this before, but this is good. I'm going to take you further. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. That's what people do who have been in the presence of God, okay? Let us not give up meeting together as some in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another all the more as you say that, see the day approaching. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we've received this knowledge of truth, no sacrifice for sin is left. Only fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. I just want to pause there for just a moment. Say, well, that sounds shocking. Well, there's another thing that was done with the, the high priest that went in to the most holy place. They tied bells around his feet, around his ankles, I guess you could say. And they also attached a long rope to him and tied that rope to one of his legs. And as he went into the Holy of Holies, because no one else was allowed there, if he, if he had sin in his life, he would literally be struck dead. The only way that the people on the outside would know that the man was struck dead there in the presence of God is they would not hear him dancing because he'd be in the presence of God and his feet would start moving begin to dance and they'd hear the bells like yeah God has accepted the sacrifice God has accepted this but if they never heard it constant silence tug on that because he just played it as a game he just like yeah this is nothing this is a game I'm telling you guys God is a holy God am I saying God's going to strike you dead you know like no don't, don't get stressed out about that just don't be stressed. That's the whole purpose of this. It's just be forgiven. Be in the presence of God. Be full of the grace and the power and the life of God. Don't be acting fake. Just be real. Be real in the presence of God. That's why we've already cleansed ourselves. We're ready to do this. We're ready to do this. After that time of worship there in the Holy of Holies, the most holy place, 
you know what? They, you can't stay there. They actually have to go back out. So they literally go back out. But there's one more thing that they actually have to do. One more time, they have to go stop by the, uh, they have to stop by the bronze laver, which is full of water. And they have to be baptized again. Which I believe is like the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Because from there, when they were baptized again, then they go out into the community. They go out in and they make a difference. Why? It's because they've been forgiven. They've been in the presence of God. They've taken the presence of God. They've, they've let the Holy Spirit minister to them and the Word of God. And they've been intimate with God and they go out full of the Holy Spirit into the world. 100 people, 120 people did that out of the day of Pentecost and it changed this world. This world has not been the same since. God is still doing that for us today. Well, I want us to worship for a little bit. I'll just tell you what we're going to do. This is not, I don't want any, this is not trying to be hyped up worship or anything like that. So I don't care whether you sit or stand or lay down or kneel. Thank God there are no cameras tonight. What I want you to do is just be in the presence of God. Now, one of the things that we do in here, just so that you understand, this is following the tradition of the tabernacle. Sometimes we turn down the lights in here. Why do we turn down the lights? It just helps you to lock yourself in with God. Actually, in the Holy of Holies, it would have been dark. All the way dark. His eyes would have had to adjust to the darkness just to be in there to worship God. And, and, but, but, the, the thing about the, the holy place and the most holy place is that you, it's not about looking at other people because when, when it's more dim, you can't really look into the faces of other people because it's not about them. It's about the light. It's about what God's doing. It's about the presence of God. These next few moments are not about us. I'm going to ask them to dim the lights a little bit in here. I'm not going to kill them all together, but we're just going to dim the lights a little bit in here. And we're going to worship God. So, team, come on up here. And Elizabeth, I want us to sing that song that you sang a few moments ago about being caught up in your presence. And we're going to flow with God here. We're going to do what happened at the altar of incense. We're going to just worship God. We're going to do some intercession. We're going to start, we're going to pray that God will move mountains for other people today. We're going to experience the presence of God. We're going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We're going to leave here. It's going to be beautiful. It's going to be beautiful. Y'all go ahead. Thank you for tuning in to the City Life Podcast. If you're interested in attending our Sunday service or would like more information, go to citylifefw.org.